What are we not being told about the recent outbreak of Ebola virus in West Africa? Are there ulterior motives to the Western mobilization against the virus beyond humanitarian sentiment? Is there a possibility that Ebola was man-made and deliberately released to infect a vulnerable population to serve some elite interest? Who, if anyone, benefits from the current outbreak and the international reaction to it? On this week's Global Research News Hour, we will explore the current crisis in West Africa with two guests: freelance investigative reporter John Rappaport and Harvard-trained investigator, educator, and best-selling author Leonard Horowitz. On today's program, the Ebola crisis, profiting from an outbreak, bringing you the analysis beyond the headlines. The Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of September nineteenth, two thousand fourteen. I am your host, John Wilson. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and Campus Community Radio Station CKUW ninety-five point nine FM. We seek to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major stories shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the center's website, globalresearch.ca. Our show is also broadcast on the Progressive Radio Network, PRN FM. We'll begin our show with news notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News Site. Russia will not tolerate NATO on their borders. Can we imagine what our U.S. military would do if the Russians were putting missile bases across Canada within instant attack distance of Washington, or for that matter, across the length of Mexico's border with America? Or how would France feel if Germany decided to put weapons of mass destruction on their borders? No regional, let alone world power, would accept this without fighting back. Putin has, and Washington acts as if this is unreasonable, unthinkable. That's from the article, "A Reality Check from Russia: Russian Public Opinion Regarding Ukraine Crisis," by Sharon Tennyson, posted September 17th, originally appearing at Oriental Review. The U.S. mainstream media's deeply biased coverage of the Ukraine crisis, endlessly portraying the U.S.-backed coup regime in Kiev as the good guys, reached a new level of absurdity over the weekend as the Washington Post excused the appearance of swastikas and other Nazi symbols among a Ukrainian government militia as romantic. This curious description of these symbols for unspeakable evil. The human devastation of the Holocaust in World War II can be found in the last three paragraphs of the lead story in the Post's Saturday editions, an article about Ukraine's Azov Battalion, which has become best known for waging brutal warfare under Nazi and neo-Nazi insignia. Post correspondent Anthony Fayola portrayed the Azov fighters as battle-scarred patriots who were nobly resisting Russian aggression. So determined to fight for Ukraine's freedom that they threatened to resort to guerrilla war. 
The article finds nothing objectionable about Azov's plans for sabotage, targeted assassinations, and other insurgent tactics against Russians, although such actions are often regarded as terrorism. Similar threats are directed even at the government of Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko if he agrees to a peace deal with the ethnic Russian East that is not the militia's liking. That's from the article Ukraine's Romantic Nazi Stormtroopers by Robert Perry, posted September 17th, originally appearing at Consortium News. David Cameron and the British media have been freaking out about the potential Scottish independence. They've blathered on about history, common defense, and other red herrings. But it's really all about oil. Specifically, if Scotland becomes independent, it gets to keep 90% of the revenues from its huge oil reserves. The New York Times reports, Scottish nationalists have long argued that being governed from London has deprived their country of its fair share of the wealth from Britain's oil and natural gas fields, which mostly lie in North Sea waters off their shores. That's from the article, The Real Reason Britain is Freaking Out About Scottish Independence, Scotland's North Sea Oil Reserves by Washington's blog, posted September 17. Scotland has a chance to fire a new shot heard around the world, this time in the backyard of the financial elites. Is it possible to break ties with the new world order peacefully, or will the consequences of a successful separation be so high that the majority of Scots will lose their nerve? If any ethnic culture has the courage to vote for independence, it would be the Scots. The destiny of a people is not written from the back offices of bankers and accountants. The world should view the independence vote as a liberation watershed that could open up the financial prospects of ordinary citizens. That was from the article Bankers Rule, City of London versus Scottish Independence by James Hall, posted September 17, originally appearing at 20th Century Wire. The petrodollar is the only life support machine left for the U.S., and this is precisely why Washington goes after any country that tries to destroy it. Russian First Deputy Prime Minister Igor Shuvalov announced after talks in Beijing recently that Russia and China are currently discussing the creation of a system of interbank transactions, which would be analog to the international system of bank transfers, SWIFT. According to Shuvalov, Russia also discussed the creation of an independent rating agency with China. All this indicates that the Eurasian Economic Union will gradually abandon the dollar. As soon as Russia and China show that it is really possible to abandon the dollar, especially given the fact that the United States is pushing for this, other countries will follow their example. That was from the article, The Real Reason Russia is Demonized and Sanctioned, The American Petrodollar, by Alexander Klaxon, posted September 18. That the FBI and Australian authorities are coordinating staged security operations in tandem on opposite ends of the globe to terrify their respective populations into line behind an impending war with Syria suggests a new Operation Northwoods of sorts is already being executed. Staged executions on cue by ISIS in the Middle East of U.S. and British citizens at perfectly timed junctures of the West's attempt to sell intervention both at home and abroad also reek of staged mayhem for the sole purpose of provoking war. Could grander and ultimately more tragic mayhem be in store? 
With the West attempting to claim ISIS now has a global reach, the U.S. and its partners attempts to obfuscate the very obvious state sponsorship it is receiving will become exponentially more difficult. That the FBI is admittedly stringing along easily manipulated, malevolent patsies who at any time could be handed real weapons and sent on shooting sprees and or bombings, Americans, Europeans, and Australians would be foolish to conclude that their real enemies reside somewhere in Syria and not right beside them at home upon the very seats of Western power. That was from the article Staged and Fake ISIS Attacks Against the Homeland, Promoting Fear in America by Tony Cartolucci, posted September 18, originally appearing on Land Destroyer Report. The current Ebola outbreak in West Africa likely represents the greatest peacetime challenge the United Nations and its agencies have ever faced. That's according to Dr. Margaret Chan, Director General of the World Health Organization. According to the World Health Organization's Ebola Response Roadmap Report, released September 18th, the total number of probable, confirmed, and suspected cases in the current outbreak of Ebola in West Africa stands at 5 1,335, with 2,622 deaths as of September 14th. Countries affected are Guinea, Liberia, Nigeria, Senegal, and Sierra Leone. The death toll from the latest outbreak of Ebola stands at 2,630, making this the deadliest outbreak on record. 5,357 cases have thus far been diagnosed. Speaking to the UN on the 18th, Dr. Chan explained this outbreak is very different from other big outbreaks the WHO has successfully managed in recent years. She warned the caseload in the hardest-hit countries has been rising exponentially over the last three months and worries this could push governments to the brink of state failure. In her words, this is not just an outbreak. This is not just a public health crisis. This is a social crisis, a humanitarian crisis, an economic crisis, and a threat to national security well beyond the outbreak zones. Earlier in the week, the Obama administration had announced its strategy would involve deploying 3,000 military personnel to help build treatment facilities in Liberia. Meanwhile, UK Prime Minister David Cameron is weighing advice he is receiving from the scientists who discovered the virus in 1976, Professor Peter Pyatt, director of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, believes a quasi-military intervention is necessary to contain the spread of the deadly epidemic. How appropriate are these responses? And given the strategic significance of the countries impacted, could there be an ulterior motive to responses by the international community? John Rappaport has written extensively on the recent Ebola outbreak. He has over 30 years of experience as a freelance investigative reporter, with his name being submitted for a Pulitzer Prize in 1982. He has authored three books, including The Matrix Revealed, Exit from the Matrix, and Power Outside the Matrix. He also writes the blog nomorefakenews.com, 
Global research producer Michael Welch spoke to Mr. Rappaport following the WHO statements to the UN. Mr. Rappaport, do you see anything suspect in the way UN and state agencies are responding to this latest outbreak? Well, there's a great deal that's suspect, but you have to go back to the basis of all these stories about so-called epidemics, and that is what diagnostic tests do they actually use in order to say that somebody has Ebola or West Nile or swine flu or so forth, because everything depends upon the UN reports, the CDC reports on the number of cases of Ebola and the number of deaths. I mean, that's the basis of the entire story. So as a reporter for the last 30 years covering these situations, I've analyzed the diagnostic tests that are used and found them to be completely unreliable, useless, in actually identifying which people have which virus, which disease, et cetera, et cetera. And so everything is up for grabs. And in fact, most of the diagnoses in these situations are what we would call eyeball diagnoses. The patient walks into a clinic or is carried into a clinic, has certain symptoms which are very generalized symptoms like fever, sore throat, muscle pain, headache, diarrhea, and are immediately diagnosed with the disease of the moment, such as Ebola or swine flu when in fact that person could be suffering from a number of uh, different conditions caused by different things. So yes, the entire basis of all of this uh, story promotion is highly suspect. So when you hear in the the, uh, World Health Organization's Ebola Response Roadmap Report, Uh, just released uh, yesterday, they talk about the total number of probable confirmed and suspected cases uh, in the realm of 5,335 with 5,357 cases that have been diagnosed. You don't trust those numbers? No, I don't. Not at all. In fact, on September 9th, the Washington Post ran a story in which they stated that in Liberia, only 31% of the diagnosed cases of Ebola had been confirmed by a laboratory. (laughs) Only 31%. And then you have to ask yourself, on top of that, what tests are these labs actually using? Because, as I've said, the standard tests are completely unreliable. So what we're dealing with here is doctors standing in clinics and hospitals, patients wheeled in or walking in, looking at the patients and saying, well, okay, this has got to be Ebola, so let's put this person in as isolated a situation as we can. In fact, let me just give you one precedent for this. In the so-called pandemic of swine flu in 2009, which turned out to be a complete dud, Uh, Cheryl Atkinson of CBS News reported in October of 2009 that the CDC had actually stopped counting cases of Ebola, of uh, swine flu in the United States. They had told state public health agencies who report these numbers to the CDC, who add them up, to stop sending in numbers. 
And the supposed reason was, well, we know that this is an epidemic, and we know that all these people coming into clinics and hospitals have swine flu. But in fact, as Cheryl Atkinson and others revealed, the overwhelming number of these people who had blood samples sent to laboratories in the United States, I'm talking about 84%, came back negative for swine flu and for any other kind of flu. So the whole thing was exposed as a complete hoax, and the CDC doubled down in the next couple of weeks and made this incredible announcement based on absolutely nothing that there were somewhere in the realm of 10 million cases of swine flu in the United States, which is totally absurd. Hmm. But that was their attempt to cover over their own incompetence on the subject. I'm reminded of the the lead up to the Iraq war in which they, like in in retrospect, we heard uh, talk about how uh, officials shaped the evidence to fit the policy of of an intervention. Is it possible that what we're seeing here is uh, you know, something similar? They, they, there's, you know, they, we're hearing about you know, three thousand uh, uh, troops going out to uh, Sierra Leone. I mean, there's been a, a lockdown uh, just announced this morning in Sierra Leone. Um, I don't know. Is there possibility that they are that, that what we're seeing in terms of mobilizations, uh, whether it's uh, you know, you know, health officials, uh, vaccines, and, and what have you, are, are we shaping a response to, or, or shaping the diagnosis to fit the uh, response? Oh, absolutely. And your uh, analogy to the Iraq War is very apt because a couple things about these West African countries. Sierra Leone, Liberia, Guinea. Um, these are very mineral-rich countries. In fact, in Sierra Leone, you will see diamonds lying on the beach called alluvial diamonds. These countries are very prized targets for international megacorporations, who are attempting to take over more and more of the land and resources of these countries. I mean, this story is as old as the hills. And so here, all of a sudden, we see lockdowns, quarantines, isolation, no news really getting out, uh, large swaths of territory sealed off. This is in line with many other such operations carried on under various flags and banners and excuses to increase the power and control of foreign lands and resources by other governments, foreign governments, and particularly foreign corporations. So yes, the reports are being shaped to fit an overriding agenda. And the other thing people have to realize is that in these West African countries, we're talking about death and dying for a very long time on a mass scale, not just recently, because of conditions in these countries, severe malnutrition, starvation, uh, decimating war for over a decade, contaminated, excuse me, contaminated water supplies that have never been cleaned up, lack of basic sanitation, overcrowding and 
stolen fertile growing land, agricultural land, from the people. And so people have been dying of these causes for a very long time. And when you look at these symptoms, fever, sore throat, muscle pain, headaches, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, even internal bleeding and so forth, these can all be explained by what has been happening for decades and decades and decades in all of these countries, which, of course, the mainstream press is not reporting. And I've been reporting for, well, since 1987. So when you overlook the basic conditions for death and dying in many of these places, then it enables you, if you are perverse, to say, oh, we have a sudden outbreak of an epidemic, uh, implying somehow that these people were previously healthy, which is completely insane, and pumping this up in the media and convincing everybody that we have a tremendous terror scare and that everybody's going to have to take the vaccine whenever it's developed and so on and so forth, curtailment of freedoms. But in particular, as I mentioned, the literal invasion of foreign lands to take them over and to take over their resources. Mm. And, and who uh, specifically is in a position not only to benefit from these developments, but in a position to influence uh, how, how things are being unraveling? CIA, White House, sending military troops in there, the formerly De Beers Diamond Syndicate, who runs the whole diamond trade out of Africa and wants to protect the beaches and seal off the beaches from people who are picking up diamonds, mining companies, huge mining companies, um, agricultural corporations, mega corporations who want to go into these countries and take over lands and turn them into corporate farms such as uh, Monsanto, Syngenta, and so forth and so on. So all of these people have a tremendous interest, mm. and one would be looking uh, to those names to see who is really running this agenda. Mm, sounds like a kind of a gold rush for some it is, entities. It is. I mean, you see it ebb and flow over time. You don't hear about it, and then something like this pops up, and all of a sudden it's in the news. But what's really going on is something else. Okay, John, could you put a human face on this situation? I mean, we're talking about foreign troops going in, uh, you know, untested vaccines, uh, uh, you know, worker health being compromised. Compromised. Uh, what would you know from from the standpoint of a, of a mother, a father, student, laborer, you know, other ordinary Liberians and Syrianians? What will they be facing on the ground in 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 the, the weeks to come? They'll be locked down in their houses. Whatever uh, food they might have, which is uh, you know pitiful will be further lessened, restrictions on travel. Some businesses will shut down. People who are living on the margins already will die, not from Ebola, but because they can't get access to the basic essentials of survival. Children will die. Mothers will die. Fathers will die. Um, and assemble, you know, the, the rights that we you know, hopefully take for granted in this 
they won't exist. They don't exist. This is a uh, you know state of military takeover, emergency, lockdown, as you said. And uh, people with any sorts of symptoms that are considered to be Ebola, which could be from any of these basic causes that I mentioned, those people will become pariahs. They could be killed. They could be, you know, sent out of towns and villages. Um, you know, anything that you can imagine in the way of bad outcome, terrible outcome, could well occur for these people. So, yeah, they're in dire, dire straits. They have already been in dire straits just because of the way life is there, but now you can multiply that by a factor of, you know, whatever, 10, 100. What about the law of unforeseen consequences? I mean, even accepting the, the thesis that there's a, a, a sinister agenda at work behind the scenes, I mean, what if, if the planners, are? is this something that could get out of control, and uh, is there any specter along those lines that uh, we have to con be concerned with? Well, they could say that it's out of control, mm -hmm. which would not be an unintended consequence. But you see, the immune system is the primary regulator of health and disease. That is what the modern medical establishment does not want to really acknowledge fully. They want to convince people that it's all about germs, 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 viruses, 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 and you have absolutely no say in whether you get ill or not. It's like this invisible terrorist demon that attacks anytime, anywhere. That's the hype. That's the propaganda. And it's not just Ebola. I mean, in every case of these so-called epidemics, and in general, disease is portrayed by modern medicine as an attack of germs. No one is exempt. There is no way to fight it except through vaccines and drugs, which is the primary lie. The immune system, the healthy immune system, will defend against the overwhelming majority of germs, if not all germs. So that means that the scenario which some people paint which is, okay, they've let, they have let the powers that be have let this germ loose because they have an other agenda, is not really uh, workable because the effects of a germ are completely unpredictable, especially in areas where people are generally healthy and have strong immune systems. However, a germ is a tremendous cover story for other means of accelerating death, killing. For example, spreading an invisible and undetectable chemical around that for a certain period of time would kill people in certain specific areas. You would call that a germ. The chemical would dissipate eventually, and it would be over. And it's not communicable as, you know, they say a germ is communicable. A vaccine, and not just the coming Ebola vaccine, but prior vaccine campaigns in those areas in Africa, campaigns for yellow fever vaccine, um, meningitis vaccine, polio vaccine, these vaccines are inherently toxic, especially to people whose immune systems are already on the edge of failure. Uh, 
And in addition to that, powers that be could add certain elements into those vaccines that would make them even more toxic and dangerous. So what I'm saying is to look at this as a staged event of killing and of provoking fear, that's really the way to look at it from the point of view of, you know, strategic effectiveness, not letting a germ loose. John Rappaport, thank you very much for that uh, much-needed reality check. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. John Rappaport is an uh, investigative reporter and a writer. His uh, blog is nomorefakenews.com. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcast out of Winnipeg on campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM and on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. We are also podcast on the website globalresearch.ca. Joining us now from Honolulu, Hawaii, is Dr. Leonard Horowitz. He is a Harvard-trained independent investigator, an internationally known authority in public health education. Uh, he is also the author of a number of books, including uh, its 1996 bestseller, Emerging Viruses, AIDS and Ebola, Nature, Accident, or Intentional. Uh, Dr. Horowitz, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure, Michael. It seems as if you're not getting a lot of respectful attention uh, outside of independent media circles. Uh, do, you, do you want to maybe outline some of the uh, uh, interference you've had in terms of getting your, your message out? Well, we have actually just published uh, yesterday. We just sent out a press release and, a, and an article by Sherry Kane that is on waronwethepeople.com under the media section, it's called Ebola Gate, right at the top of the tab, Ebola Gate, whereby we go into the fact that the censorship and the manipulation of the intelligence in this whole area through the mainstream media, uh, particularly Google, YouTube, which censored, blocked my entire channel with 150 videos uh, right around the time that the Ebola broke out same uh, thing we witnessed with Wikipedia, which I had been defamed on for 10 years. They used my bio. They wouldn't allow me to edit my own bio, which was grossly misrepresenting who I am or what I've done. Uh, and they did that. They used that. And in our, our opinion, Wikipedia is a mouthpiece for central intelligence based on the evidence that we're looking at. And they had used Wikipedia for a decade to defame me, and suddenly at the emergence of Ebola and in response, very quickly when we put out our video on Vimeo's Revolution Television channel, we did a special report on Ebola, and they literally took down my entire Wikipedia page. And so we have evidence of that in the new article, and... Then we also had contracts that were breached with PR Newswire Service, which had put out a number of press releases that we had been outputting 
to bring people's attention to the man-made origin of Ebola, and we say that most definitively because we have published the United States government contracts under which numerous Ebola-like viruses, AIDS-like viruses, were bioengineered by the Army's sixth top biological weapons contracting lab called Lytton Bionetics during the 1960s and early 1970s. So we have that documentation in the book, Emerging Viruses, AIDS, and Ebola, Nature, Accident, or Intentional, and we gave it to anyone that had an eye to see the truth, including when we were told that our press releases would no longer be served by PR Newswire in regard to the Ebola, we had then offered their legal department the the opportunity to look at and review the scientific evidence because this is these are scientific texts that and documents. They're US government contracts from the National Institutes of Health and the National Cancer Institute that showed how they used very crude methods at the time. We're talking about the late sixties and early seventies, crude methods of genetic engineering viruses that would cause exactly what it was and is that HIV AIDS does at the current time and Ebola does. In fact, we even have specifically the study that the mother of Ebola, the Marburg virus, uh, was basically produced in. It was a combination of a what's called rhabdovirus simian. Uh, that is a combination of a rabies virus that ran in rodents as well as combining it with simian monkey. And so they created a virus that would cause uh, what's called rhabdovirus simian at the time. Today it's called Ebola. Uh, and it was initially called Marburg. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I can go into that, but basically what happened was that PR Newswire service refused to publish that uh, implicates uh, UBM, which is a, a British company who owns PR Newswire, iReach, which is another one, and then CBS News. And it was the CBS News censorship of my name, my identity, my book that really caused the scandal, really caused the Ebola gate, and really implicated U.S. national security in a conspiracy with the mainstream media to suppress intelligence. And that means in science, it's basically uh, scientific evidence tampering, and in law, it's a felony, uh, or, or at least a serious misdemeanor, where you uh, suppress and conceal evidence. And so that's what now uh, CBS just did a couple days ago. And what they did was they were reporting on the headline news in Liberia, that had actually featured and basically was all about my book, my work, uh, with the emerging viruses, AIDS, and Ebola matter. And it came out in the, the Observer, which is Liberia's number one newspaper, and a number of American publications came out with various statements about it, but the most uh, outrageous of all was this, CBS News report, which 
didn't mention anything about me, didn't mention anything about the subject matter, the primary subject matter of the Liberian article. It was a blatant mm. uh, spin. And so that's what prompted us to then respond with what we did, and that essentially is what the crime is that we're up against. Could, could you cement that case for us, that, that uh, Marburg... Uh, from uh, the 1967, yes, and 67, and then Ebola 10 years later. What, what is the argument, the, the core uh, proof, as it were, that, that they are, in fact, man-made as opposed to just naturally occurring? Well, there's three smoking guns, in my opinion. One is the fact that we have the contracts of the Special Virus Cancer Program, National Institutes of Health Contracts, 712025 and 712059. Uh, and they're published, uh, the first one is on page 425 of the book Emerging Viruses, AIDS, and Ebola, where it was called The Investigations of Viral Carcinogenesis in Primates. That means cancer production in uh, primates, human beings are primates, so are chimpanzees. And the fact is that we've sh- we show you their contracts which were suppressed so they concealed those contracts the special virus cancer program book that i was just really blessed uh, to to find uh, it was a miracle how i found them because they had been pulled from the library catalogs you couldn't get it through a normal author title search and it was a miracle that i found them but basically uh, once i had them we published them and that the obvious uh, then outbreak of in 1967 of the mother of Ebola called Marburg it is another smoking gun because of okay so the first smoking gun is the fact that we've got the contracts that show that they produced the AIDS like and the Ebola like viruses then the second document that I shared with you is uh, NIH number 712059, it was to the Merck Pharmaceutical Company, and Dr. Maurice Hilleman, who's the world's leading vaccine developer, uh, was the recipient of the grant. He was overseeing that grant for his company, and it was the production of vaccines. It was a vaccine grant, and the idea, and it still is the idea today, that if you have the virus and you know the virus causes whatever disease, then you can go about and test that virus and various manipulations of it to produce a vaccine. Well, that's what the contract was about. And, and Dr. Maurice Hilleman, he actually went on record, and he's dead now, but he went on record as having stated that he brought the AIDS virus into North America and contaminated monkeys destined for vaccine research and development. And it's a horrible uh, segment that is was blocked by YouTube. It's still we have it up on the Vimeo Revolution Television channel. Still, you can still see it up there. It was part of one of my five documentary films. I produced a documentary called um, uh, "In Lies We Trust." In Lies We Trust, Hollywood, uh, the CIA, Hollywood, and uh, bioterrorism, and you can view that segments of that, they're up for free also on Vimeo's Revolution television channel. The segment that I'm talking about, Hilleman admitting that he brought the AIDS virus into North America, is up there. Uh, And uh, Edward Shorter, in fact, was the interviewer, 
Uh, he is uh, chairman of the Medical Sociology Department, I think, in Toronto, University of Toronto. At least that's where he was I, the last time I checked. And it's a horrible reality check. Here you have the world's leading vaccine developer, the most, most esteemed scientist, telling you that he brought the AIDS virus in, mm. in these contaminated monkeys from Lytton Bionetics. Now, that's where Marburg comes in and Ebola comes in, because in 1967, you had 500 contaminated animals shipped from Lytton Bionetics monkey colonies in Central Africa to three vaccine production facilities where Marburg broke out. It was Belgrade, Yugoslavia, Frankfurt, Germany, and Marburg, Germany vaccine production facilities there that they had the first outbreak of the mother of Ebola. And when you go into the record, you see what the CDC stated in response. And they came out with exactly what they did, or, or close to what they did today. Recently, with the Ebola outbreak, they claimed that the natural reservoir was fruit bats based on a study in Bangladesh, allegedly, where they found 4% of the fruit bats were infected with a the antigen of Ebola, Zaire. Well, first of all, Bangladesh is in Asia. It's not in Africa. And 4% of an antigen response might be just what's called an artifact. You know, just, you know, it, it's a Like error. And so that was ridiculous. In today's publications, it's, in my opinion, um, ir irresponsible in the world of science to come out with this as even a thesis at this point. But they did the same thing, and even worse, in 1967. The Centers for Disease Control came out and said that 50% of the chimpanzees and the animals, monkeys from Africa, are infected with the Marburg virus. And so, you know, that's a But that wasn't confirmed. Statement. That and wasn't, wasn't confirmed, right? Then... Uh, uh, bypassed by the world's leading experts in the field. And one of them was Cy Coulter from the Southwest Foundation, the leading monkey laboratories in the United States. Mm. And he and others came out with the fact that this is impossible because if you had 50% of the animals infected with this horrible virus, then you'd be seeing people in laboratories all over the United States and world dying. And so they reviewed the CDC's evidence, and they found it to be completely bogus. It was scientific fraud. And so that's what happened in 67. And what they covered up and they concealed, just like they're concealing me and my books today, mm -hmm. and they're concealing Lytton Bionetics Labs, and they're concealing the Special Virus Cancer Program and the contracts that I just mentioned. They concealed... Litton Bionetics shipment and the name of the company that shipped the contaminated animals. Now, mm. when you conceal a piece of evidence, I, as I mentioned, that's uh, in fraud. It's fraud and yeah. it's a crime, and especially it's a crime when you're dealing with thousands and thousands, if not millions, of lives and potential victims.
Dr. Horowitz, um, I was wondering if you could uh, address, I mean, the World Health Organization, which is uh, an arm of the United Nations, is saying that uh, the, uh, the the source is coming from uh, uh, rural communities uh, proximate to the rainforests uh, in uh, Central and, and Western Africa. And, of course, uh, what, what is your understanding of, of the process by which we locate the epicenter of these outbreaks? Uh, well, thank you. That's a good question. And I... You tend to be wordy, so please jump in at any time. Appreciate uh, that. The, the most outrageous uh, common sense evidence that refutes the allegation that these viruses are simply coming out at, on occasion from the wilds of African jungles is the fact that today's Ebola outbreak is the strain Ebola Zaire, the 1976 strain. So in 1967, after the vaccine labs had the outbreak, and suddenly now you've got about uh, uh, was it uh, 10 years later or so, you've got in 1970 uh, in um, 1976 you've got Ebola Zaire breaking out in the Congo. Well, okay, uh, they got away with it that time. They basically said, okay, this came out of the African rainforest. Well, gee whiz. Today is 2014. In March, the same strain came out thousands of miles away from the you know, central Congo in Zaire. It came out in initially Guinea, southern Guinea, and in our opinion, it was focused on targeting Liberia, which is where the epicenter of mortality and morbidity. More people have died there, it's, and the major numbers are coming from Liberian deaths, and I've been in touch with the Ministry of Health of Liberia and some of the ministers therein, and they're in horrible straits. And the reality is, though, that this is just, uh, it's impossible to have the same strain. Don't forget, these viruses are highly unstable. They're recombinants, and that makes them unstable. They are like AIDS. When they jump from one person to another, or one species to another, they basically mutate tremendously. They change 6 8%, 10% pretty much at each jump, according to the scientists. And so when you consider now this is all these years, from 1976 to 2014, to have the same strain come out thousands of miles away from where it first came out, common sense would say you need a refrigerator to have that happen. You need to have the viruses cultured in the same strain over decades and then transported, obviously, in a refrigerator thousands of miles to have it reappear. And so, again, what, what you're witnessing is an outrageous violation of common sense and basic science. Mm. And how they get away with that is they have the mainstream media, which censors all the truth. It comes out with outrageous lies that when repeated over and over and over again, you have behavioral programming or social engineering. And where they literally create a population that accepts this genocide 
and his stupidity. I, I just on that note, I remember in, like 13 years ago, there was a lot of concern about anthrax letters being sent out uh, in the wake of 9-11. And it, it, seems, it, it would seem a little bit strange that the terrorists all of a sudden seem to forget about that mechanism you know, of, of, of instilling terror. But, you know, in, in retrospect, in hindsight, it does seem as if it, there, there was some effort at uh, working with the mainstream media to uh, generate some kind of a media spectacle that would get some sort of a, a goal in place. We were looking at the same phenomenon here, I suppose, right? Absolutely. It's exactly the same. And you're talking to the expert who basically exposed the whole anthrax mailings as exactly what you just stated. The, the goal, just like today, the goal with the Ebola is uh, several fold, but the primary ones are number one, you've got major sociopolitical upheaval and issues of oil drilling and energy production by Chevron and Exxon off the coast of Liberia. And you've got a war with Russia, you've got a war with China, you've got a war with Iran against the uh, United States and Britain. Basically, this is where you know, the alliances are, are now forming in order to advance the next major war. And so you've got Liberia as a major energy center, kind of like in the mix of this now, with America now sending troops over there and, and you know, saying, that oh, now we're the her- heroes in the region. And basically, you know, it's a power play on that level. But also the Merck Pharmaceutical Company, the other drug companies that are advancing the fast-track vaccines. Now, you raised the anthrax mailing. The anthrax mailing was done, and as a matter of fact, I went to the FBI one week before the first mention of anthrax mailing in the United States. I went to the FBI, uh, as you mentioned, it was about two weeks after 9-11, I had a tremendous amount of research. I had three years of research into anthrax, where I saw on the uh, on CBS Evening News with Dan Rather, I saw on ABC News with Tom Brokaw, and I saw uh, Peter Jennings. The most shocking of all was Peter Jennings, who was a Canadian, came to America, became famous as a as a news uh, anchor, and he came out. On the Wednesday, uh, at, uh, it was a Wednesday night, two weeks after 9-11, and he said this. At the end of this program, he said, quote, Tomorrow, we're going to be studying anthrax. We're going through your, I'm sorry, we're going to be covering anthrax. We're going through your fears, one by one, day by day. Good night, end quote. And so... There's what you were saying, fear, terrorism, bioterrorism. That's what's happening now with Ebola. At that time, with Jennings having said that, I tuned in to the next night's news. And the whole thing was basically an advertisement. It was a infomercial <laughs> for Cipro. And so Cipro, if you understand Cipro, it's an antibiotic that's extremely toxic, outrageously risky to give even for people normal people in for two weeks, which is the normal amount of time that you're supposed to be giving a strong antibiotic to patients. Well, they started to sell at a cost of $700 per prescription. 
and they sold tens of thousands of prescriptions for Cipro, which just happened to have been the exclusive antibiotic that had been certified by the Food and Drug Administration, which again is an outrageous, outrageous assault, because there are so many obviously safer antibiotics that you could use to control anthrax. You could even use garlic, penicillin, all doxycycline, all sorts of less expensive, less toxic than than Cipro. Well, at any rate, they chose Cipro and promoted Cipro, and as a result, in about uh, 90 days, you had about 30,000 people in the Washington, D.C. area alone because there were two males that were sent there to the senators uh, who were opposed to the to the drug cartel. Uh, Tom uh, Daschle, who was the Senate Majority Leader at the time, and you had uh, Patrick, I um, uh, can't remember his right, right, name right now, but uh, he was the Judiciary Chairman, uh, and uh, Patrick Leahy. And so they were mailed in the anthrax letters. And so you had Congress up on arms, and of course that was terrorizing Congress at the time, and so, I mean, Congress, when terrorized, just like a normal human being, when you terrorize them and say, well, we have the solution and we have the uh, cure for you, here it is. It's an antibiotic or it's a new vaccine. You better believe they're going to jump on it and give you whatever legislation you want. And that's what they did. And basically, uh, you know, I, I reported this to National Security. I reported this to Robert Mueller of the FBI, uh, who is the director of the FBI. And, of course, I got... Nothing except I was made a suspect. They actually made me, who was the whistleblower, a suspect. I told them, you know, if you really want to focus on who did this, look at the drug companies. Look at the connections between the Bayer Corporation, which Cipro was produced by Bayer. Mm. Well, who the hell is Bayer? Bayer Corporation just happens to have been one of the leading corporations behind Hitler. Mm-hmm. The Bayer Corporation was the central focus. The president of Bayer was the director of IG Farben, Germany's leading industrial organization that for all practical purposes ran the Third Reich. Dr. Horowitz, I, I wanted to uh, maybe just narrow down the question of um, <clears throat> what what is the goal? Like you, You've already mentioned the, the role of the uh, pharmaceutical uh, companies. Uh, I, I want to ask the, the fundamental question, who benefits and, and what are they what what are they getting out of this uh, breakout uh, in uh, in West Africa? Well, the the two benefits as we're talking about is commercial crime, mm-hmm. you know, massive amounts of profits, billions and billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars, because you're basically advancing a pharmaceutical agenda. But also, there are supposedly, according to the highest levels of banking, of energy, of pharmaceuticals, and they're virtually one cartel when you consider multinational corporations and the mergers that have occurred. Basically, you've got the, you know, the Goldman Sachs uh, working for uh, Rockefeller Chase uh, Manhattan, J.P. Morgan Chase organization that literally supplies all of the officials for the U.S. Treasury Department. And then also because of the U.S. Treasury Department, there's the money. Now you've got control over a lot of things, including the Justice Department. And ultimately what your concern is that there's too many 
useless eaters, they call them. There's too many of us. There's too many people. They claim that because we have pollution, they blame us for driving the cars that they've given us that have suppressed the Tesla technology and all the free energies. They've basically managed us, and they've managed the pollution. It's an agenda that literally drives their continuous control over the planet. Now, burgeoning populations are harder to control than lesser populations. So basically, population control, population management, social engineering is a priority if you're on top of the money. And the world's wealthiest people want to maintain, as they have for millennia, mm-hmm. they basically control the banks, they control the energy cartel, they control the pharmaceutical cartel, and ultimately they control the media. Okay, i got to kind of close it there. Dr. Leonard Horowitz, thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure, Michael. Dr. Leonard Horowitz, a Harvard-trained independent investigator and an internationally known authority on public health education. He's the author of the 1996 book, Emerging Viruses, AIDS and Ebola, Nature, Accident, or Intentional. He spoke to us from Honolulu, Hawaii. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can hear our program every week at 1 p.m. Central Time on Campus Community Radio Station CKUW 95.9 FM and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. You can also download our program from the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback, email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. The program was produced this week by Michael Welch. I have been your host, John Wilson. Please join us again next week.